Thanks for checking out the Christian Life Austin podcast. If this is your first time listening, make sure to check us out at clcaustin.com for more info on how you can connect with us. We trust that you will enjoy today's message. Thank you for listening. The first week we talked about we celebrate families. We celebrate families in this church. We celebrate. Last week we talked about commitment to families. And we really talked about commitment to parenting more than we did to husband and wife. But today we're going we're gonna to talk about conflict resolution and how to resolve some things in our life. And, and this teaching may not be the kind that will taste good going down, but it will feel good in about three days after it gets into your tummy. Amen. So I want you to stand to your feet all over the house. You're awesome people. And I love you very, very much. And uh, I am not trying to be an authoritarian here today. I'm just a servant of God trying to help people along a journey. My wife and I have gone down this journey. We're still on this journey. And I believe that God can help us all. You believe that? Colossians chapter 3. Just stand for the reading. It's not on the screen. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is in your life, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, and idol- which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's pretty stout. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. It also says don't throw your shoe at the TV when your team loses. Okay. (laughs) Do not lie to each other since you've you've taken off the old self with his practices and have put on a new self which has been renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I'm going to read that again. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule your heart, since as members of one body you're called to peace. And be thankful. And be thankful. Dear Father, in the name of the Lord, let the word go forth today unfettered. Let it be blessed and let it have root in people's hearts. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. may be seated. Thank you so much. And we will teach the word of God to you today. As an old poem says, to live above with those we love, well, that will be glory. But to live with, uh, below with those we know, well, that's another story. Whenever two or, or more people gather in close quarters of family or church or work or community, folks, conflict is bound to happen. The Bible affirms that from cover to cover, from the beginning of families in the Bible, Cain and Abel had a problem and one of them died. Jacob did not get along with Esau for a long time. King Saul tried to kill David for 10 years. And Paul wanted nothing to do with his former traveling companion, Mark. In fact, sent him home 
for 16 years. A census taker in West Virginia who was climbing up to a cabin nestled up in the mountainside met a youngster. He asked the boy, do you live around here? Yep, said the young man up in that cabin. Good, said the census taker. Is your daddy home? No, no, dad's not home. He's in the state penitentiary. Well, is your mama home? Asked the census taker. No, she's in the house of correction. Do you have a brother or sister? He said, yeah, I have a brother. Well, where is he? Well, he's at Harvard. And the census taker just took back, said, wow, Harvard, what's he studying? Asked the census taker, he ain't studying, they're studying him. (laughs) Let me me say something. Conflict is not the same as dysfunctionality. We're not talking about dysfunctional families. But it's important to find common ground in areas of conflict to stop what we call dysfunctionality. Coach John Wooden of UCLA, the nation's most successful basketball team back in his day, he wrote a book called They Call Me Coach, and he said, I tell my team that you're going to make mistakes. He said the team that makes the most mistakes will probably win. He said because teams and people that make mistakes are doers and not just hearers. And go out there and do all you can and be all you can, and you'll make mistakes, and I'll be all right with that because we're going to win if you're a doer. I want to talk to you just a little bit today, folks, because there are, there are conflicts that happen in our families and conflicts that happen on our job and conflicts that happen in our lives and conflicts that have happened in our lives and how do we handle those and how do we take care of those. And I'm going to try in the next 25 or 30 minutes just kind of talk to you a little bit about this. The first thing that I think you have to have in order to handle conflicts is to be factual. Everybody say, tell the truth. Tell the truth. As a kid, one of my favorite TV shows was Dragnet. And Sergeant Joe Friday usually would say on, regularly to the people, just the facts, ma'am. <laughs> just the facts. In a groundbreaking work, the day, the day America Told the Truth, the authors wrote that there's some unique things we need to say about honesty. They said 90, 91% of Americans lie regularly at home and at work. lie to their parents, 75% lie to their friends, 73% lie to their siblings, and 69% lie to their spouses. So when your spouse is telling you something you think it's a little shady, say, is that 31 or 69? (laughs) Just tease it. Relationships grounded in truth are helpful to everybody. The first principle of conflict resolution, folks, is stop pretending And stop denying and end the cover-ups and quit diminishing the facts. Listen, dad has more than a headache every night. He's probably drinking too much. Let's get to the truth. Mom is more than tired when she sleeps all the time. She may be depressed because dad's drinking too much. And Johnny's friends are not responsible for his drug use. Johnny is responsible. In Psalms chapter 51, David starts to confess his sins about killing Uriah and his sin with Bathsheba. And he begins by saying that God desires truth in the inner parts of our being. He wants truth inside of us. Honesty with ourselves, folks, is the first step toward freedom. There's three people, three things you have to get honest with. Number one, to God. Number two, to yourself. And number three, to your family and to others. You have to get honest. The only thing, folks, that will make us free is truth. 
above all to thine own self be true was quoted one day in a play because God desires truth in the inner parts. We do not help ourselves or others by living in the darkness of denial. Somebody needs to turn the light on and let's start hearing truth. And the only one that can turn the light on in your life is Jesus Christ. For he is the way and he is the truth and he is our life. Amen. Everybody say he's truth. Jesus is truth. The philosopher Aristotle who studied under Plato, who had studied under Socrates, gave this advice about truth telling. He said, we must tell the right truth to the right person at the right time in the right way for the right reason. Not every truth is ours to tell. For instance, truth told in confidence must be kept in confidence. You don't need to go out because you have something in you and have exercised your power of your tongue to tell everything that you've heard when somebody has talked to you in confidence. Can I get a witness? Truth that will needlessly diminish another, hurt another, tarnish another is not mine to tell. I don't need to hurt somebody by the truth that I know about them. And truth must be told at the right time in the right way. Listen, you have no obligation, folks, no obligation to tell a father that your son just graduated summa cum laude when his son just dropped out of community college. You understand that? You have no obligation to tell a man about your promotion the day that he got fired. It's at the right time. And you may firmly believe that all things work together for good, but the time to tell your truth to somebody, that truth to somebody, like a mother whose child has been killed by a drunken driver, is not right yet. And I'm telling you, I've been there to, in all of those situations because People want to come and say, I just got to be honest with you. No, you need to be honest with the right kind of honesty with them. Because truth is the only thing that will set us free. But some truth is not mine to tell to hurt people. Some truth is not mine to tell to destroy people. My truth is told to help people. Amen. So before any words pass from your lips, let them pass this litmus test of love. Are they true? Are they kind? And are they necessary? There's some people right now saying, oh, God, he's already wearing me out. And he's not even off the first point yet. Are they true? Are they kind? Are they necessary? You know what America needs right now? America needs a baptism. All of America needs to go through the waters of baptism of kindness and peace and love. Come on, let's, let's talk about it. And respecting leaders. And respected parents, we need a baptism of that in America. Can I get a witness? The second thing that I think that helps us in confronting and resolving confrontations is this, and conflict, is you've got to be flexible. You've got to be bendable. You've got to be, well, I'm an oak. Well, you've got to have a little flex in you, oak, okay? You've got to be a little bendable. Clothe yourself with compassion, the Bible says. Clothe, your, clothe yourself with kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. I read about a Green Bay Packer fan who, who, who was upset that his seven-year-old would not wear the team jersey during a team's playoff victory a couple of years ago. And he literally tied his chair with duct tape to a child, his child to a chair for an hour and taped a jersey on him. And then taped his mouth shut when he started to cry. And the man was cited for disorderly conduct when his wife called the police. Sometimes, folks, we just need to lighten up. Really. 
A mother was enraged at a principal of a school in which her daughter, age 11, was about to enroll and she had just learned that her daughter would have to wear a uniform, for crying out loud, to school. And it was not the expense that upset the mother. It was the fact that her daughter would not be able to wear the designer, fancy designer clothes she had purchased for. And the pain, she said, that I felt was that my daughter had been mugged on Main Street. Really? It's just a uniform. It's just a uniform. My kids used to tell me when I'd get a little upset with them and I'd say, say, Daddy, take a chill pill. Let me tell you something. I took them. I really did. Because all I had in my house was women. My wife, my three daughters, and the dog was even a woman. I learned how to take chill pills. It's time to lighten up. Sometimes we need to get things in perspective. You know there's nine Beatitudes. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. I made up a tenth one. I made up a tenth one. And here it is. Blessed are the flexible for they shall not get bent out of shape. It'll be a happier day in your family when we stop demanding perfection of those we love. Let me tell you something. You didn't marry your idealized woman or man. Now, I thought I did. Is my wife over there? Is she over there? Is my wife over there? Somebody answer me. Good. She was here in first service and she threw something at me. No, I'm teasing. When I married Patty, I said, I have never seen a woman with such compassion, kindness. Would you like some breakfast? Would you? I said, oh, my God. This woman's awesome. Is there anything I can do for you? Yes, there is. And it took about two months. And then one day she woke up with an opinion. And the next day, it was a conviction. And then all of a sudden, that woman had changed. And you know what? It was for the better. Because I was already getting that little manpower thing in me. And she said, not in this life, big boy. Not in this life. So I've become so flexible. You know, you know. You know, parents, when we raise our kids, we can, we, can, we can be steely. But when grandkids come, we all of a sudden just become real, real flexible. When great-grandkids come, we're just like this. You ever seen that guy that the wind blows up at those car lots? That's what I've become with all my family. Amen. Just flexible. Somebody needs to understand we got to... Got to lighten up in this thing called life. Say amen. You married a flawed human being. Your kids are not angels and your parents are not perfect. We all have quirks. You know, we all squeeze our toothpaste differently. (laughs) Patty's got hers and I got mine because I don't like the way she squeezes my toothpaste. (laughs) She does this little roll up thing. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And I squeeze it right out of the middle. Then I get some more and I squeeze it out of the middle again. It's my business. Some of us have a different view of messiness around the house. Some people can walk over a pile of laundry this big and say, wow, it's a beautiful day. Some old varied notions about a good time. 
What's a good time to? We all make mistakes. We follow too much the devices and the desires of our own hearts. And we have left undone those things we ought to have done. And we have done those things we ought not to have done. Because 70% of the conflicts that were at the start of your relationship will remain in place until the end of your relationship. Because I don't care, sweet lady, I don't care how much you've said it, I will alter him, I will change him. No, you're not. And all you guys think, wow, I got this, mm, this Venus. Really? Wait till you see her in curlers, baby, with no makeup. It's a different story. I'm just telling you that conflicts are bound to happen. But what we have to do is understand that we've got to lighten up in this thing called life. We've got to be flexible. Can somebody help me preach this right now? We need to keep our expectations within reason. Sometimes they don't do it the way you think they ought to do it. Sometimes your kids are going a different route than you ever thought they'd go. But it's all right because they're still our kids and they're still our family. And that's how we resolve conflict. Amen. And the third thing, and I want to teach on this for a little while. Not only do we have to be factual, we have to tell the truth. You've got to tell the truth. And you've got to be flexible with this thing called life. But the third thing, you have to be forgiving. You've got to forgive. This is not easy to talk about. You have to forgive. You have to forgive. One of the toughest things I ever had in my life was to forgive the man that took my wife and boy's life. I, had to, I felt like I had to forgive him. And he came to this church and asked for my forgiveness when he got out of prison. And I had to forgive him. Or this church would have sunk. This church would have been built on bitterness and anger and wrath and all kinds of hate. But I had to say, it's all right. And I did. And God began to blossom this church. Begin to grow ex- exponentially because God loves a heart that's forgiving Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me real good. You're never any closer to God than when you know how to forgive somebody. That's more God-like than you'll ever be in all your life because the Lord forgave us. He, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. You've got to learn how to forgive. Let me tell you what forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness is not condoning somebody. It doesn't minimize the wrong or excuse the person who committed the act. Like he really didn't mean to hit her. He didn't really, really didn't mean to put her in the hospital for six months. In fact, it's no big deal. That's, that's condoning. That's not forgiving. Forgiveness is not condoning. So Russell was a, a victim of a hit and run accident and he forgave the driver. But because he was in the hospital for six to eight months, he had to get a little recovery. So he had to sue to get some recovery. That's, that, that's, he still forgave him, but he didn't condone the act of the man hitting him while he was drunk, while he was riding his bike. So forgiveness is not condoning. Do you understand that? There is a difference. It's not saying it's okay. It's okay. Some things are never okay. But it's all right for you to forgive them in the name of the Lord because that's what God asks us to do. Not condone the wrong, but forgive people of their wrong. Amen? The second thing that forgiveness is not, it's not about forgetting. It's not about forgetting. I'm, I'm going to cover a few points here that I'm going to really stress this in a moment. It's not, it's not about forgetting. Forgetting is a disease. It's called dementia. It's called Alzheimer's. It's tragic. It's painful. And forgiving does not erase the bitter past. But a healed memory is not a deleted memory. Ah, hallelujah. Instead, forgiving what we cannot forget creates a new way to remember. Because when you say, it's all right, I forgive you, 
then all of a sudden you are on a new path. There's a new path in your life because you are not hung on to yesterday's hurt and pain and sorrow. And it's not about forgetting. That's why we build Holocaust museums, not to wallow in tragedies it brought, but to remind us never to tolerate such horrors again. We're not gonna go there any longer. We're gonna live above and beyond that. And it's not gonna happen in our life again. Some of you people have been hurt. You've been abused by things in your life in the past, by parents, by kinfolks, by other people that come to visit. And you've been abused sexually, morally, uh, uh, verbally, physically, you've been abused. And, and, it's, it, it, and it's hard to forget those kind of things. But not, not, not forgetting, not forgetting is not the way to do it. You remember another way when you learn how to forgive that person. And you understand that this will not happen to my children. It will not happen to me again. I will live for God and I will walk with him in peace. Amen. That's what it's about. Forgiveness is not about condoning. It's not about forgetting. And it's not about reconciling. It takes one person to forgive. It takes two to reconcile. You don't have to reconcile when you forgive because sometimes the person that you try to reconcile to has never changed because the thing that has changed us is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the change agent in our life. Amen. You can forgive those with whom you desire no further relationship. Forgiveness is not going back. Forgiveness is moving forward. Now, I'm going to talk about three things that forgiveness is. Number one, forgiveness is a conscious decision to move forward. To move forward. Here's what I want to preach today very succinctly and very, very directly to you. And I want to tell you the truth. You can't live back there and enjoy God today. Amen. You can't let that still bother you and enjoy the benefits of Calvary today. Because Jesus stared from that cross and said, you don't even know what you're doing, but I'm going to forgive you. If, if you didn't know what you were doing and he forgave you, you can forgive people who knew what they were doing and you can move forward. Amen? Forgiveness is a decision to move forward. Forgiveness begins with a desire in the heart. We want something better for ourselves than what we presently feel. And it's not a matter of ought. It's a matter of opportunity. See, my preaching might make you feel guilty or it might make you not make, not, not make you want to get better. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we forgive when we feel God's spirit. It's not my preaching that turns you around. It's God's spirit that you embrace that'll turn you around. And that impulse that you're feeling right now. When I left first service today, there were people still taking notes and crying and weeping because they understood that I've got to move forward. I have been living 20 years back here, back in 2000, back in 1995, and here it is 2016, and I can't get over that. It's time to say goodbye to that and hello to a brand new day. Come on, it's time to say, I forgive that, I wash that, I get rid of that, and I'm moving on. Oh, hallelujah, somebody help me preach right now. You gotta learn how to get rid of yesterday. You gotta get rid of yesterday. It's not only a moving forward, forgiveness is an experience of grace. It's a grace, it's a grace thing. It's a grace thing. By grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let me tell you something. You didn't get here by yourself. Alex Haley said, if you ever see a turtle on a fence post, he didn't get there by himself. Pretty good, Mr. Alex. Pretty good. And I'm going to tell you, 
I see you here dressed up at church today, but you didn't get here by yourself. Somebody dug you out. Somebody prayed for you. Somebody called your name. Somebody said, Lord, save my boy, save my daughter, save my husband, save my wife. Somebody prayed for you. And one day you felt the convicting power of God. And you walked into a church or you walked to your closet. You found a war room somewhere in your house and you knelt down and you said, God, I can't carry this any longer. I can't go anymore. I've got to have some help. I've got to have some deliverance. And all of a sudden, something from somewhere, you don't even know where it came from. It's just like the wind. It blew and it blew it all away. And it took all the dust and all the ashes and all the past and all the bitterness out. And you walked out of there rubbing your eyes and you just crying. You said, wow, I didn't know the sky was so blue. I didn't know the sun was so bright. I didn't know that life was really this happy. I'm telling you, everybody needs a baptism of grace. You need some grace in your life. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. See, we we forgive out of humility, not from arrogance. We forgive from neediness, not out of narcissism. A narcissist can't ever say, I forgive you. Can't ever do it. If you've never allowed your own face to become greasy with the grace of God alone that he supplies, you're not likely to become a forgiven person. You've got to get in grace. I used to love to listen to Dr. Martin Luther King. He was my favorite preacher. When I was a young man, I traveled by myself for about five years evangelizing, doing youth camps and revivals. I listened to Dr. King all the time. I'd stop at those, those truck stops and get his tapes. And he said this one day, he said, if we're arrested every day, if we're exploited every day, if we're trampled over every day, don't ever let anyone pull you so low as to hate them. We must use the weapon of love. Let me say something. You've got to make a decision to move on. But I had a bad first marriage. Okay, okay. So it's, it's, it's taunted me and tainted me in my second marriage. No, it don't have to. I'm sorry, it doesn't have to. You've got to leave it alone and you've got to move on. And you've got to get under the grace of God. Because grace makes you think different than law. Law says, well, I'm going to get even with that old mate. I'm going to get even with that divorcee. I'm going to get even with those kids that walked out of my house. No, no, no. You're going to get under God's grace and you're going to move forward. And you're going to say, by his grace, I am who I am. And when you get to feeling the grace of God, you can't help but forgive. Because forgiveness is an act of God. And the third thing, and I've got to close. Forgiveness is an act of surrender. It's hard for grown men and grown women to surrender. It's so hard. It's so tough. But if you're going to resolve conflict in your life, you're going to have to learn how to say, I surrender all. I surrender it. This thing is not going to take me to hell. This isn't going to take me to hell. You know, bitterness, folks, is the only spirit in the Bible that has a root. And once you ever get bitter... It's hard to dig that out of your system. You got, it takes a real good preacher with a lot of tears and a lot of passion to ever preach that out of you. But I'm, I'm trying today to help somebody because there's people in this house, this many people, there's people in this house that have been damaged and abused by preachers and perhaps by people and by saints and people that have 
called himself Christian and you've been abused by those kind of people, but you don't have to live there anymore. You can make a conscious decision to move on. You can experience the grace of God and you can surrender yourself to the power and the grace of God Almighty in your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The day after I lost my wife and boy, and I, I talk about it from time to time, Many people don't even know my story. They've, they've come to church the last three months. They don't know my story. I lost a wife and a son to a drunk driver back in 1981, and I closed. Brother Randy, if you'll help me. And uh, there were days after that tragedy that I, I, I would say, Lord, don't let me run into that man. Don't let me run into that person that took my wife and boy's life. Don't let that happen. And the Lord was gentle with me. He was so kind to me. But I didn't want to run into that person because I knew if I ran into that person that I might do something that I would always regret. Because my boy was my, he was my buddy, you know. He'd be 39 today. He'd be 39 years old. He'd be standing right here beside me. He'd already have played college ball and pro ball. I'd already have a good retirement. Because <laughs> I had a dream about him 20 years after he died, and he was playing ball. He was a defensive tackle. He was playing ball. He was such a good kid. And it was difficult. It was difficult. But in the process of 17 years, God, God prepared me. And one day the knock came on the door, and I had to answer it, and it was... It was a man that had done the deed. And I forgave him. Long story. I'll tell it one day in a book, but I forgave him. But something released in me that day that I cannot explain. I cannot explain what released inside of me that day. It was like something just grabbed junk out of me and said, it's gone. And I fell on my knees and I, I hugged him and his tears wet my shirt and my tears wet his shirt. And here we were, the perpetrator and the pastor. Forgiveness flowed. And I have never been the same since 1998 of pastoring this church because I understand what it takes. It takes a decision to move beyond that. And it takes a decision to be bathed in the grace of God. And it takes a decision to surrender yourself and say, not my will. Let yours be done. Pastor, I wish you'd get off that from time to time. No, no, no. We have to live in forgiveness. See, revenge may taste sweet with the first bite, but it grows bitter with the second or third chew. You just can't get revenge in your heart. You've got to learn how to resolve conflict in your life. And we're going to resolve conflicts in our life. Thanksgiving's coming. Christmas is coming. We're going to resolve conflicts in our life. The only thing that makes us real happy is the ability to say, it's all right, I forgive you. Wow, I forgive you. 
I forgive you. It took Joseph some 20 years, 22 years to see his brothers again that had put him in a pit and sent him off to another country, lied to their father about his coat. And then they came because they needed bread and and Joseph gave them corn. And he told them who he was. He said, you you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. It's, It's an amazing thing. Joseph is a picture of Christ. You just got to forgive. Conflict resolution is about forgiving. It's about saying it's okay. We're going to move forward. Forget it. Let's don't go back there. Because too many arguments in families start with, you know, you remember back five years ago, you got to get past that. You got to get past that. We got to move on. We got to get under God's grace. We got to surrender ourselves to Him. Would you stand and receive the word today by clapping your hands all over the building? You're awesome people. I love you. I love you. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.